0: An unearthly hello to my fellow horror enthusiasts. Welcome to the Writers of Horror podcast. The Writers of Horror is a community for horror creatives, a place to connect with other horror enthusiasts and to elevate your horror writing. I'm Daniel Wilcox. I'll be your host for this episode. And today I am thrilled to be joined in the virtual studio by none other than the insanely talented Eric LaRocca. Hey, Eric, how's it going? Hi,
1: thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here and just chat with you. I think this is going to be great.
0: Yes, I have a lot of really, really fun questions to ask you. But first, we'll tell people a, little about, about, a bit about yourself. So Eric LaRocca is the Bram Stoker Award-nominated and Splatterpunk award-winning author of several works of horror and dark fiction, including the viral sensation Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke. A lover of luxury fashion and an admirer of European musical theatre, Eric can often be found roaming the streets of his home city, Boston, Massachusetts, for inspiration. And so I kind of want to jump a little bit away from that bio and because I I was doing a little bit of research from you. I was I was stalking, obviously, before we came to this conversation. And uh, I I pricked up or my ears pricked up on a little tidbit of information that you are a big fan of monsters in particular when it comes to horror. Um, Is this accurate? And what are your favourite go to monsters that you like to write or read about?
1: Yeah, no, I mean I grew up on uh you know like the classic universal monster movies. So like my first intro to horror was um the creature from the black lagoon. Um my mom showed me that movie when I was like 8 or 9 and that just like left such an impression on me. Um I I find that I in terms of like my own writing when I'm, you know, crafting a piece or you know brainstorming what I want to write about I'm, I'm interested, I'm definitely interested in monsters, but I'm more interested in like human monsters and like how, like what's the worst possible thing a human can do to another human being. That to me is just like really interesting. And I, I definitely grew up on that diet of like classic universal monster movies, but then my tastes sort of shifted and I started watching like a lot of um, like transgressive, south korean uh films like old boy and i saw the devil and then like the new french extremity like martyrs and inside and those films like left also such a huge impression on me um so i find it more unsettling when we're analyzing you know what the, what's the worst humanity can do to itself? How mm-hmm. how do we like hurt ourselves, our own kind? You know yeah. that to me is just like really really fascinating. So, um, in terms of like what monsters I kind of gravitate to now, I definitely would say like human monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, just like you know, I I read like a ton of like Jack Ketchum and like Poppy Z Bright, like Exquisite Corpse, like books like that are so much more unsettling than you know traditional like vampire werewolf like you know those those pieces are great I definitely have like a lot of love for them but for me like the most exciting and the most like visceral and just uncomfortable uh monsters are just human beings I I find like humanity I'm, I'm a bit of a pessimist when it comes to like regarding humanity and just like how awful we are to one another
0: I'm right there with you
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so I just I, I find myself really leaning into that more than anything mm-hmm. um, you know I have a book coming out in March from Titan called The Trees Grew Because I Bled There um, and that's like a, sh- a collection of short fiction and that entire collection it's all just human beings doing awful things to one another and like, Mm. you know, the relationships we forge with one another and, you know, how those relationships rot and decay and, um, you know, how, how we're eventually just, you know, eventually just going to rot and decay as well. So that's, that's kind of what I'm inspired by now, just like with monsters, but I still love, you know, the classics like Dracula and Frankenstein.
0: Yeah, we are very similar there because I I include monsters in my fiction, but it's often just to illustrate the depravities that humans go to in the situations when they're kind of stuck in dark corners, um, totally. and that's where the focus is. And it's almost like the monsters are the tool that gets you there. But I find it I find it very very fascinating. I don't know if you've experienced this of um, there seems to be a trend at the minute of lots of people who watch like serial killer and true crime things and they'll listen to you when you say i write horror and they're like oh i'd never read horror but then they're actually watching what i would argue is worse horror on the tv of things that have actually happened in these sort of brutal just disgusting ways have you ever sort of encountered oh. that with some of the like the people around you
1: yeah no absolutely i mean i i find it really difficult to watch those true crime specials because they're like they're actual things that have happened i mean the playground that we're kind of playing in as horror authors it's all make-believe i mean obviously it's possible for these things to happen to other people but the characters and the events and the ways in which the story is being told like it's it's all made up like it's from the mind of an author but when you kind of delve into the more um like act the like based on a true event like you know based on whatever like whatever case you're talking about whatever like murder or tragedy that happened I I get a little even more uncomfortable with stuff like that just because I know like it it's real and it actually happened um that's not to say I won't watch that sort of mm-hmm. material but I definitely have to be like in the right headspace for that.
0: Yeah I just I find it very confusing to speak to people about that um, and I just even off of just that first intro I've got a lot of questions to springboard from but just to set context for the people who might be a bit more unfamiliar to you are you happy to tell everyone a little bit about your writing journey and how you kind of got to where you are today?
1: Yeah no of course um, so I mean I, I grew up in a very small isolated town in Connecticut um, and that's kind of where I learned to write, read, where I discovered how much I love horror. Um, and from there, I, uh, you know, went to college and studied fiction, studied playwriting. Um, pretty much a lot of my early work was primarily, like, work for the theater. Um, so I I did a lot of, like, stage plays. Um, and then, you know, just eventually graduated to, to fiction and short story writing. And from there, um, I just started working with small presses like weird punk books. Um, and that's where uh, weird punk is the press that published my like kind of debut novella called things have gotten worse since we last spoke. And that uh, went viral and uh, you know, it was just a really fascinating journey to be on definitely like a, a roller coaster ride with something like that. And um, you know, now I, I publish with uh, Titan books and I have a lot of material coming out from them in the pipeline over the next couple years. Um, like I was saying, I have the trees grew because I bled there, which is coming out in March on March 7th, which is a re-release of a short fiction collection I had published back in 2021. Um, but uh, it's been out of print for obviously like two years now, so or a year and a half. Um, so folks can, you know, now now read those short stories. Um, but yeah, I primarily work in like horror, dark fiction. Uh, like I, like I said, I'm really fascinated by just humanity and the awful things we do to one another. And that's kind of where my fiction resides, I think. And especially, um, you know, my, my work concentrates a lot on like openly queer characters, um, or maybe not openly queer characters, just queer characters in general, um, the LGBTQ um community I like to explore like all characters um in 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 uh in my community so um that's kind of a broad overview of 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 me um mm.
0: so yeah yeah and from what I can understand so I can you came into my circle um probably about a year and a half two years ago obviously the name Eric Locker was going mad with things that have gotten worse since we last spoke the kind of viral cover sensation that went everywhere um it was one of those things of like it wasn't because there's there's often books that circulate around the Books of Grand Communities and kind of really sort of pop up now and then, but they don't always grab me. But there was really something about like the cover and there was something particular about the titling of your books, which really, really grabbed me, which is something I want to go into. Um, but before I kind of like ask those questions, how do you cultivate a viral sensation when it comes to publishing a book. I know this is a very difficult question to answer.
1: It's a great question because I wish I had the answer because <laughs> if I had the answer every book I published would go viral. Um, you know, I get asked that question a lot and I've I've really done a lot of reflecting on on it and I think what happened with things have gotten worse since we last spoke is that it was just like a perfect storm of an opportunity for a book to go viral. Mm -hmm. You had like the insane cover art by Kim Jacobson, which is so striking, so visually arresting. That's obviously going to attract people. You had a really snappy, catchy title. Things have gotten worse since we last spoke. Who doesn't want to pick up that book? Like that's a great title. It's a phenomenal title, (laughs) if I may say so. Like that's a great title and it's going to attract people. Um, And you had you know, a really unconventional way of telling a story, like in chat rooms and email threads. And, you know, it it really all, <clears throat> excuse me, it all like contributed to the success of the book. I don't necessarily think you can replicate that easily with every book. Like, each book is going to have the life that it takes. Some books come out and you know it, they do fairly well and then they kind of fall away some books come out and there's really no response and then maybe a few years later there's a massive response and people are really interested and they're really talking about it it really depends i feel like on the book and just the book in general like it really all comes back to the book and the writing and how it's marketed um that being said you you can't buy that level of going viral you can't like purchase that somewhere it really has to be like an organic situation um and like i said like if i knew the answer to why exactly that book went viral i like all of my books would would have the same number of reviews on goodreads would have the same number of copies sold um you know, I I independently released a novella called You've Lost a Lot of Blood, which came out uh, like March 2022. And basically what I was trying to do with that was, first of all, I was trying to just give my readers just like a gift to hold them over until more of my material was able to come out. Because at that time, a lot of my material was uh, pulled away and out of print and was coming back out through Titan, but it was going to be a while. So I thought, Oh, I'll just put this book out. Um, and I used, uh, Kim Jacobson again for cover art. Um, Kim did the cover art for things have gotten worse. And it was a, it was a fairly successful book for a self-published book. I mean, we've sold like over 20,000 copies. That's, that's great.
0: A fantastic story but, as well.
1: Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, but it, it's not that level of, viral Mm -hmm. that things have gotten worse became and i think also because i think perhaps things have gotten worse went so viral because there were so many different opinions uh, afterward there were there were so many conversations uh you had a really polarizing book with things have gotten worse because you have people that like absolutely love it. And then you have people that absolutely despise it because of X, Y, Z, whatever reasons. So stuff like that, I feel like controversy maybe is a reason for going viral. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, obviously, I don't encourage writers to just write stuff that is they think is controversial. Uh, If you sit down and you think, well, what can I write that's going to you know, piss people off or make people upset. Like, I feel like you might be going into it for the wrong reasons. I think at the end of the day, we should just sit down and write compelling stories that excite us and that, you know, move us and uh, just speak to us in some way. Like there has to be heart behind it. And there was heart behind the reason I wrote Things Have Gotten Worse. Um, But as far as like, bottling that success and mimicking it for every book. it would be great if we could do that. but it's so it's so fleeting and it's so rare to capture that mm. um so just to, to go back to answer your question, I I wish I had like a definitive answer. I feel like I picked up on small reasons why it went off the way it did. but I don't have that one, you know, concrete, Definition as to why it took off the way it did, you know. Yeah.
0: And that was the only reason I invited you on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only joking. But I mean, every everything you said there makes sense. Like, because you said it kind of at the beginning was like, you know, you you put it in the right places and the right ways that you could, and did everything possible to make that spark light into a fire. And that's all you can do when it comes to trying to promote work and you know trying to hit that critical mass. And you know, like you said, the, the cover was. Incredible! The title is amazing. um Reading the book, the the prose, the whole the whole story is is fantastic. So you've got all these ingredients of you know what makes a good book, and really that's the only part that you can control. And then you know you pop that out there, and if it if it shoots, it shoots. And you know obviously for you in this case it did. What did it What did it feel like when it got to the point that you started really seeing those numbers come in, and you started to see it getting shared everywhere? What was that kind of reaction for you?
1: Oh, I mean, at first it was incredible. Like I I was floating everywhere I went, I was just walking on clouds. Like I felt so, I felt so validated. I felt so, I felt so appreciated. I felt like my work had finally reached what I had wanted it to. I wanted to, you know, write something that reached a lot of people that kind of went outside the horror genre and touched other people. Um, It was, it was an incredible, incredible experience. And um you know i i i think having such a viral success early on almost it's kind of difficult because every other release since then like it's been phenomenal like other releases have been great but it's so hard to live up to that initial success you know what i mean um and i i definitely have moments where i'm like oh i I I hope that that's not my one and only, like, I hope that like, I'll, you know, write more and release other, you know, books that will be just as well received and, you know, as highlighted in, in horror and beyond. Um, But it's, it's great on one hand and it's, it's also uh, difficult to process on, on the other hand because it's so much attention It's so much criticism coming at you, you know, in every direction. I have found that I kind of need to like turn off sometimes and just like protect my creative being myself, because if I allow too much negativity and too much criticism to like bombard me, it dilutes whatever project I'm working on right now. And then like my, my art kind of suffers, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I've, I've, hopefully I, I I think I could work a little bit harder on it and develop like an even better balance, but I'm really trying to really be mindful of just like protecting my, my art and my creativity and really trying to not like kind of go into like the Goodreads and the YouTube comments and read too much. Um, Because at the end of the day, those reviews, they're not for me. They're for other readers who are going to pick up that book. Um, The book has already been published. At this point, like, I don't need to workshop it with anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like a book when you write a book, you have an editor, you work with the editor You go back and forth, pitch different ideas, develop certain characters. Like it's a whole process. But then when the book comes out, it's really no longer a conversation between author and reader. It's more of a conversation between the readers. So I try as much as possible to kind of stay out of that conversation, unless I'm tagged in like a review. And, you know, then I'll just say thank you. Like I really appreciate it. Um, But it's definitely been a, a huge learning experience for me. Just how to navigate the the industry, um how to be a better writer, how to, you know, just like I said, like navigate and just kind of operate in this horror sphere that we're all in. Um but it's it's been a it's it's been so rewarding in so many other ways because I've met so many awesome people from that book, you know
0: yeah I love that um idea that the reviews are you know readers on on readers because I know a lot of authors that do get stuck stuck in the rabbit hole of going down and looking at reviews and obviously like when you're yeah. focusing on the negative ones because that's what the human brain's going to do it's going to go to the negative and go like I've not done well enough as opposed yeah, to yeah that's what I do with a good one you know? yeah it's it's yeah. just a natural process of, of what it happens and like I like that idea of sort of shutting it off and just going like no that's that's what it is like the book because again I guess sort of it comes back to almost this theme of control and what we can do as authors to keep producing keep making stuff um and you mentioned on another podcast that that's one of the lessons that you've learned is this idea that all you can do is keep writing forward all you can do is just keep creating art and moving forward how has your writing process sort of changed from the early days of you beginning into sort of horror prose fiction and has it changed much in sort of the last few years with all of this success
1: yeah it's it's changed like quite a bit. I mean, I was so impulsive and so reckless when I was starting out. Like, I wouldn't outline, I would just sort of start writing. And I would get I would back myself into corners without outlining, you know, Um, it, it made it more difficult for me, because I've learned after all of this, that I'm the type of writer that needs to outline first, I need to make notes, I need to really kind of just immerse myself in this world I'm going to create, these characters that I'm going to be around for a while. Um, I, I can't kind of just go into it cold and just expect that everything's going to work out. So a lot of my work, like in college and like grad school, I didn't really outline, but it wasn't until really grad school that I learned about myself and how, oh, like I do need to outline, like that's like the best thing for me to do is to outline and really kind of just get in there and make sure that the story works. Because if you're not, for me at least, if, this, if you're outlining and there's a problem in the outline, that problem is still going to be there when you're writing the actual piece. So it's really important to kind of get all those issues resolved before you start writing at least for me that's what works best for me and you know I'm very lucky that I've got a really phenomenal agent that I can kind of send uh you know project proposals to and she'll look at them and she'll tell me oh well this really isn't working for me um and then we'll kind of discuss why um but you know writers you know it's so important to build that community like even if i if i was still you know without an agent i would try to maybe find like a writers group or some sort of like community like that's why grad school was so fun for me because it was just like a group of like-minded individuals we were all like creating stuff it was we all like respected each other we all like wanted the best for each other that was just the those were 2 years of my life that i like, I do not regret one second. I had the best time ever. Um, and, but just, I I think like all writers need some sort of community to really flourish and excel. I think when writing is obviously such a solitary activity, it's so mm-hmm. isolating. You really need people in your corner, uh, you know, that you can text when you get that bad review, So that you don't put it on Twitter, so that you don't (laughs) put it on Facebook and talk about it. Just talk about it to your friends, you know, and keep it between them. Like that that's really like those are the big things I've I've learned just about myself since things have gotten worse.
0: Yeah, I think community is is a very, very big one because a lot of people tend to avoid it because obviously we can't write In a community well we can the writing groups but do you know what i mean like when it comes to you and your work it's you one-on-one alone and there's no one else going to help with that but this this idea of you know supporting each other and at least having that person to to reach out to and and just understand what it is that you're going through at that point because most of the time our family our friends aren't creatively inclined in the ways that we are they're not chasing the same sort of dreams and so that that language to be able to speak to someone else and go like my character won't listen and to have someone go oh that sucks like i I get that like it's huge how is that how has that journey of building your community gone? Cause I can imagine that, you know, as you know, your success has sort of risen each stage, there's been, um, I guess, gaps between, you know, certain people in that community and then finding new people. And, and that is a, a bit of a challenge. Has that been the case for you?
1: Well, I was um, when I was like first starting out before things have gotten worse, I, I've always been kind of shy with like reaching out to people because I'm always afraid that I'm like bothering them or, you know, like, just like a burden in some way. Um, But it, it really wasn't, I did make friends with some folks in the horror community before things have gotten worse. And, and they've been, like, phenomenal. They've been great. Um, You know, I'm still in touch with them. And I, I feel like, you know, we'll stay connected for the rest, for the rest of the time that I'm writing and publishing. Um But I, because of things have gotten worse, I've definitely been in a great position, uh, to meet like authors that I have idolized, like my whole life. And, uh, I'm, it's, it's crazy, but like, I'm, I'm able to like connect with them in a way that I wasn't able to connect with them before. And, uh, you know, I'm, definitely like in in a in a great circle of people um and i i feel really valued and i feel and that's that's really like that's what it comes down to is that you're with people who obviously get what you're going through who you can text when you get like a bad review and like one of the trades um like that that is like you can't buy that um you know so Uh, it's, it's definitely altered, uh, over the time, over the time that I've been like writing. Um, but you know, I just, I feel very fortunate that I'm, I'm able to be around, um, such just incredible like-minded folks. And, you know, there's a ton of really exceptional horror authors in New England. Uh, so I'm kind of like in a great place just in general. Horror Um, central. Yeah. It's like (laughs) horror central to be honest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah no it's it's been great it's been really really great
0: nice um let's talk titles because this is this this fascinates me because i'm trying to track this down so um titles from eric la things have gotten worse since we last spoke you've lost a lot of blood we can never leave this place they were here before us everything the darkness eats the trees group because i bled there like there's there's something very just poetic and and unique and different in each of those titles and it's it's so refreshing to see almost like a statement in in the title itself. And now is that something that you came across yourself? Because I've seen a lot of other authors start to do this style of titling. Is that something yeah. that you found uh you were influenced by or is that something that you think that in some way you might have influenced?
1: Oh I mean I I don't know about I don't know if I've influenced people <laughs> I mean maybe um but I I kind of vibed with this kind of title with like the old JALO movies, you know, mm. like uh, anything by like Argento or Bava. Um, you know, there's one called your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Th- there are tons of really great JALO titles from like the seventies and eighties. Like what have you done to Solange and who saw her die? Um yeah. Just like really just striking and titles that make you stop. And you're like, I need to watch that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, So I was really influenced by those titles, just JALO titles. And for those of you who are listening and don't know, like JALO films are like basically gory murder mysteries that were primarily produced and uh, released like in Italy or France very european um in like the 1970s 1980s um and you know Dario Argento is is a is a pioneer of that of that subgenre um but yeah no i i love a good title like there's nothing that's more important to me than crafting a really compelling title um so i i definitely feel like I'm the type of writer that I really can't start working on a piece until I know what the title is going to be. It might change while I'm writing, but I need that foundation. I need that stability to kind of lean on in the beginning to know what I'm, what I'm creating, uh, to name it, you know, um, that's just really important to me starting out from the gate, you know?
0: Yeah, and they're certainly memorable. I mean, it, it kind of for me throws back a little bit to—I um, don't know how much of a Fallout Boy fan you might be, um, but Fallout Boy their titles on their songs are incredible. Although the only difference is it's very difficult to know which song <laughs> links to which title because they don't really make sense. But gotcha. in your case, it seems to like speak to actually what the story is, which is very, very helpful for for a reader. Right. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about some of your influences because I know that people like you mentioned, you know, Jack Ketchum. Um, I know that Clive Barker is a big influence of yours. Um, what is it about? their work particularly that speaks to you, and how do you incorporate some of the stuff that you do into your own writing?
1: Well, I mean, Clyde Barker is probably the biggest influence for me. Um, I read the Books of Blood, uh, I think, like, high school or college, like, undergrad, and prior to that, I really didn't see queerness in horror. I didn't see LGBT characters operating in horror. I saw coded figures, but not really explicitly stated queer characters. And it really wasn't until I read um uh In the Hills of the Cities by Clive Barker that you know I saw a just a a gay couple uh in in horror fiction and that was just such a a seminal moment for me and really kind of reshaped my relationship with the genre. Um, Because prior to that, I thought to myself, well, I don't know if I really belong in horror. I don't know if my stories are valid in horror. The stuff that I was writing was very like Stephen King leaning esque, like, just very, you know, not not, it didn't really have like, not that Stephen King doesn't have like flair and personality with his writing but my my own writing was very like bland and just had no personality um and and didn't have like a really solid identity uh but it it really wasn't until I read Clive Barker that I I said to myself oh like I can be queer and and write in this genre and I belong um So so Clive Barker has been a huge influence, not only in just like his queerness, but also the fact that he writes such depravity and such brutality with this like lyrical prose. Mm -hmm. So like he he marries these two extremes, this like just beauty with absolute degeneracy like that. That is a really interesting juxtaposition to me. And I try to kind of replicate that in my own fiction. I know a lot of readers have said that, um, you know, the writing, my writing is, is uh, Barker-esque with like the, the beautiful, like sumptuous descriptions, but then kind of veering off into gore and splatter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely, I, I'm a huge, huge Clyde Barker fan. Also a big fan of Poppy Z. Bright, um, you know, like Exquisite Corpse. And, um, are you loathsome tonight? Drawing blood. Um, also a huge fan of Kathy Koja, um, like skin. I'm really, I'm just really invested in like the eighties and nineties, like splatterpunk movement. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me was just, I feel like the pinnacle of, of horror fiction <laughs> when yeah. people were really just audacious and, um, just did whatever they wanted. Um, so those I feel like those three and then also um Michael McDowell. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but
0: the name, but I've not read any of his stuff yet.
1: Yeah, he's he's another phenomenal uh, uh gay horror author. Um he passed away, unfortunately, but uh his his books are exceptional, like The Elementals and Blackwater. Um so yeah, no, I i I feel like I've I've studied quite a bit of just like the horror genre in general and I've just immediately gravitated toward that like extreme uh kind of transgressive movement in like the 80s and 90s
0: yeah and it is it is nice seeing um the Horror Writers Association like something I've noticed from where I've been sitting and watching all, all the action taking place, is there is just a lot of focus on inclusivity and providing you know the platform for a lot of people to share their work these days and it totally. is just from from my side i think as i say like even i'm seeing like a lot of like the latinx stuff and a lot of like the black writers and the queer writers and i think it's you know it's awesome to see more of that going around in the circle and not just that but for it to just feel much more normal than like the outside um what's the word to see it much more just in present just populated throughout all of what is being pushed by the horror writers association i think it's fantastic
1: Oh, totally. I mean, I, I'm a member of the HWA and I feel like they've made exceptional strides in the past few years, even yes. just with more inclusivity and uh, just making sure that all of the voices are at the table. Um, so I'm, I'm really pleased and I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you picked up on that as well. Mm-hmm. I know like a lot of people are, are really proud to be HWA members and I'm, I'm definitely one of them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. With your upcoming books, obviously you've uh, mentioned that you've got The Trees Group because I Bled there coming out in March from Titan. You've got uh, Everything the Darkness Eats coming in July, I believe. Um, What is it that you try to, and for want of a better word, achieve with your writing uh, these days compared to perhaps where you were a year or two ago?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, Well, I feel like now I have more of a responsibility and I have like a little bit of a bigger platform so i feel that responsibility when i write i try not to be too mindful of the audience while i'm writing um but i i know that my writing will will reach people um you know fingers crossed obviously <laughs> um but i think when i'm when i'm writing now i i just i can't write something if it's not in my heart and i know like prior to like i was saying like when i was Prior to reading Clive Barker, my the, the stuff that I was writing was so bland and just like unimaginative and really um, just like carbon copies of other things that I was reading or watching at the time. It, it It didn't have me in it, you know, and I anything I write now, if I'm not connecting with it, if I'm not fully in love with it, I just stop writing. And I'll write something else because life's too short to Mm -hmm. write stuff that you don't believe in or that you think, oh, maybe this will sell. You know, if I'm not behind it, if I if I can't if I can't stand in front of a room of people and say, this is my art, do with it what you will. If I don't have the confidence to do that, then the book, I shouldn't write the book. I shouldn't write that story. So for me, it's really it's really easy now because I have like a really good just internal detector of what is meaningful to me and what resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to answer your question, I mean, I I think for me, like what what works best now is just know like am I am I am I in this like am, am I somewhere in these pages mm-hmm. and uh, if not. Then just move
0: on yeah i can imagine that's very very difficult to do because i know that my platform is probably not near yours at this point um but the minute you started getting readers i definitely feel that pressure of like oh now i have to write something that they like as opposed to thinking you know i write the stories that i like which is why they liked my stories because they Mm -hmm. liked what was me um and that kind of mindset shift is really really difficult to rein in and to keep control of um have you got any sort of specific tips on
1: Well, I mean, I was going to say, like, they'll be able to tell, like, your readers will be able to tell when you're not being authentic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, everything I've put out, like, I stand behind 100%. There's never been a moment where I'm like, oh, like, I don't know about that. Like, I, I feel like, you know, as far as like, tips on how to kind of, you mean, like, tips on how to figure out, like, if you're in it, or like, tips on just forgetting yeah, about
0: I guess sort of, yeah detecting those moments because sometimes it's very easy just to get into the trenches and be writing and I know I've had it before I've been halfway through the story and it's taken a while to go like ah this just isn't for me because there's also this voice in the back of my head going just finish it
1: yeah and that's that's the problem is that there is part of you there is a part of all of us that will be that like inner saboteur mm. and will try to like get us off the rails and be like this isn't this isn't good. People are going to hate this. This is shit. But it's a fine line between this is bad and, you know, this just doesn't have me in it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like on some level, like if, you, if you're in tune with yourself and you really know, you really know who you are, um, you'll be able to tell. A lot of this is just like doing the the self work to kind of figure this out um and really like know who you are mm. um I mean there were so many years that I spent not wanting to be queer not wanting to be who I was and you know now I'm the type of person where it's like what you see is what you get I am who I am I don't know what else to tell you like if you don't like it that's your problem it's not uh-huh. my problem so it's it's a it's definitely difficult but if you do if you spend the time to do that work on yourself and really be reflective and decide like what kind of story do you want to tell you'll be able to tell in maybe a couple pages like if this book needs to be told by you you know
0: yeah I'll discard a book when I uh when confidence be now um this is gonna be quite a big question but what makes good horror
1: oh uh I feel like the characters. Mm. I feel like the characters really make good horror when you really care about them, when you really, or, you know, when you're at least like invested in what's happening to them. That I feel like makes really good horror because when the horrible stuff happens, you're, like I said, you're invested. Mm -hmm. You don't want them to be like dismembered. You don't want them to be... (laughs) like haunted or whatever um I feel like you know characters are the most probably probably the most important part of of horror and crafting compelling characters it it can be like rather difficult um but if you spend the time to really work with your characters and develop them accurately um I feel like it makes for us just such a stronger stronger book um I I can have difficulty sometimes crafting characters. I'm more of a plot person I've learned. I'm more of somebody who kind of relies on plot and less on characters, so that's like my Achilles heel is just crafting really like palpable characters. Um I just did an edit on a book um that's coming out in like 2025 and pretty much all of the work I had to do on it was character work. Mm. You know, the plot worked fine. The plot was great, my editor said, but there were moments that I lapsed with the character work. And there were moments that I missed out on to really strengthen character dynamics, character arcs. Um, So, I mean, you learn about that from working with editors. I wouldn't have really known that if I didn't have, you know, a great team around me or like a community. It goes back to that Mm -hmm. idea of like a community. You need people who are in your corner, who are on your side, who want the best for you and can like gently tell you like, this isn't working and this is why, you know, Mm -hmm. constructive criticism uh so but yeah just to get back to your question I feel like with good horror it just it really relies heavily on on characters
0: yeah yeah and I will say that that's one of the things that I love is that you know the end product you don't see all of the nitty-gritty of obviously what goes into the writing process so like there's this impression the new author specifically that you know you write a draft maybe two drafts and then you've got this this perfectly polished books because I could say from the works I've read of yours the characters there's, there's something about the um realism in the characters and the situations obviously they're quite dire situations in particular um you know uh, you've lost a lot of blood and things have gotten worse since we last spoke there's something that's fundamentally like it's dark but it's like so real like you can imagine those moments you can feel that because it, they're, they're true people and as you say like with character being something that you struggle with you don't see that in the finished products but obviously a lot of that goes into the edit and the creation process
1: totally totally i mean it it I owe so much to my editors <laughs> with uh you know their notes and their guidance um and that's really what I want to stress to writers like younger writers writers who are kind of just breaking into the business is you know it's so important to just have as many eyes on your work as possible before it goes to print because once it's in print it's there forever. Mm-hmm.
0: And ever. You cannot remove it from the internet once it's out there. Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, Who are a few underrated or underappreciated authors that people should know more about?
1: Ooh, um, definitely David Demchuk is a phenomenal uh, Canadian horror author. Uh, He's uh, openly gay and writes really phenomenal uh, queer horror fiction he wrote, his debut novel was uh, called The Bone Mother, which uh, was originally published by Chai And then once they folded, it's now just like a self-published piece that he released. Um, but it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal book. And also Red X, which is another great book that came out through Strange Light, I think, um, in like 2019, 2020. Um, and just David. David deserves like all the praise, all the all the recognition. And I, I definitely feel like more people need to be aware of his work. Um, there's also Joe Coke who, uh, writes like very transgressive, queer, uh, hallucinatory body horror, just very surreal. Um, he writes just really just incredibly lyrical prose. Um, you almost kind of like the words they're just like you want to just devour the books you know they're just so sumptuous and just so beautifully written um so i would say david demchuk and joe coke are like two authors that i would i would recommend to to readers and have them have them discover more of because they definitely deserve like all the all the recognition Hmm. for
0: sure i always love it when people say that people i've never heard of it's It's a very selfish question
1: (laughs) no it's it's great i mean i feel like there are so many authors operating in horror now i mean we really are in such a boom so it's hard to to keep up with everybody but um i i highly recommend both of those works
0: nice well i have uh two more questions the first one um might be a tricky one for you so the world is on fire and there is one theater left in the world and you have four hours remaining of your life on this earth and you have the chance to watch one more show. What show are you watching?
1: Oh, uh, you mean like a movie or a play or
0: like a play, a musical, a theater show, whatever it is you want to put on there.
1: Oh, OK. Um, Obviously,
0: you don't have to like assemble the cast. <laughs> Just imagine they're all ready to go.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm going to I'm going to go with. Yeah. Um... This musical that I absolutely love, and it's from uh it premiered like in Vienna in like the, the early 90s. It's based on the life of uh Empress Elizabeth of Austria. Uh and the musical is called Elizabeth. Um, and it's it's just like really dark and uh just beautiful music. It's sung through completely like Les Miserables or like um cats or phantom like any of the Andrew Lloyd Webber shows Um, but it's basically it's kind of like almost like a like a fantasy musical uh, drama where the Empress Elizabeth chronicles her life but also kind of explores her relationship with death who is an actual character in the play and he kind of comes in and out of her life while she's going through uh you know the the turmoil and suffering that she went through in her life uh it's just a really like beautiful show and it's it's um just music that I listen to constantly just because it's so beautiful
0: I'll have to check that out and uh, I will put links to your recommended authors and also that show into the show notes as well as part of my final question now that we come to the end of the interview where can everyone find out all about yourself and all that you've got going on
1: yeah, so um they can go to my website, which is just ericlaraca.com. Uh I'm really active on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my username is at hysteric teeth. And I'm also on Facebook. Um, I'm really active on social media. So I don't have like a mailing list or anything yet, like an email list. I should probably set something like that up. But uh for now, like just, you know, if you want to learn more, like definitely follow me and and uh, you'll stay up to date on everything.
0: Um, and I kind of lied out of that. How So one one final question. Hysteric teeth. What's the meaning behind that? I'm very, very curious.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, teeth in general, like, terrify me. Like, for some reason, like, I'm just, like, very unnerved by teeth. Um, but I thought it was just a funny, like, title. Like, I was thinking of using it at one point for a title, and didn't really go anywhere with it um I also like the fact that my name is in it hysteric like eric is in hysteric um (laughs) so yeah it's just something weird I just came up with and um I just thought like oh that's a great like it's not a good title for a book but maybe it's a great
0: username for me (laughs) Mm -hmm. no I think it's perfect it's fun and obviously it's quite memorable as well so yeah, thank you i appreciate that <laughs> no worries well that brings us to the end of this interview thank you so much eric for joining it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and uh everyone who's been listening to this podcast remember we have many many other episodes go over to writersofhorror.org to find out all about ourselves and all that we've got going on one final time from myself and from eric catch you later